is signing day for college football today, not national signing day. I guess that still comes sometime in February, but signing day nonetheless, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State receiving commitments. Oklahoma right now has 17 of their 20 commitments for the 2018 class turned in uh, with national letters of intent. Of those 17, I believe seven of them are planning on coming to Oklahoma for the uh, spring semester. It means they'll be involved in spring Training, you'll get to see some of them in the spring game uh, in April. First question is, signing day being in December, good thing or bad thing? It depends on where you sit. Um, And the reality for me is that Oklahoma played an extra week because of championship weekend. Mm -hmm. They're also preparing for the college football playoff. So there's a lot going on if, if you're one of these four final teams, or even if you are one of the teams who is playing in a conference championship game. You may have lost out on a little bit of time and availability to meet with these players who you are expecting to send in their letters of intent on the December 20th, the day of early early signing period opened. Needless to say, the flip side of it is you kind of know where you're at recruiting wise. Right, right. And you have to wonder though, with the early signing period, you've already mentioned Oklahoma has 20 commits, 17 of them signed today. What does that mean for the, the remaining three? For sure. Are they holdouts or are they guys who may open up their recruitment, but it's not just Oklahoma. That's, that's across the nation is you do have to wonder where some of these big name prospects who haven't signed or, or still have yet to commit where they stand. And eventually you have to wonder where they'll fall. Well, and that's, and that's where, I mean, I think that's, I think that's what's going to get exploited here. Here's what happened is, you know, there's a, there's a great illustration of, of why we have this last year, um, Oklahoma state, I can't remember the kid's name, uh, but Oklahoma state had a, a kid committed to them to play quarterback until January. And then mid-January, kid flips and decides he's going to Texas A&M, which hindsight was a bad choice because, you know, well, I guess you have, you have Bud Foster now. Not Bud Foster. Help me out. The, the, the Florida State guy. How am I? Bud Foster. Jimbo. That, Jimbo Fisher. Thank you. Um, Bud Foster is the defensive coordinator for Virginia <laughs> Tech, if you guys didn't know that. But, I mean, he's got a better coach. he got an upgrade there. But what, it left Oklahoma State in the lurch. And, and here's the thing. If you're a program like Oklahoma State, and, I mean, I, this, some people are going to take this as a knock. It's not intended to be a knock, but it is what it is. If you're a program like Oklahoma State and you lose your quarterback three weeks before National Signing Day, you, you don't have very many options. You really don't. They went out and they got this kid who I believe was committed to Louisiana Tech. That's what you get. I mean, you get a two- or three-star guy that was committed to a smaller school, and now he wants to go to a bigger school in Oklahoma State's his opportunity. That's what you get. If you're a school like Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and you lose your kid, then you pick on someone. You, you go and you cherry-pick. And that's what A&M did. So those 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 high profile programs, Alabama, Oklahoma, the ones that are in the national championship hunt, you know, the, the four that are there, Clemson, Oklahoma, you know, Alabama, Georgia, they, it, it isn't going to affect them. You, you lose a kid in January and you're Oklahoma. Well, you've got about 12 kids you can call. You really do. You, if you're Oklahoma State and you lose a kid in January, then you, your list isn't as long. And so because of. Situations like that, I see that this early signing thing being a benefit. It, it's Oklahoma is still going to get who they want. Now Oklahoma State has a better chance if you if they they're not going to get a kid to flip in in January 
because they can get him to sign in December. But here, here's where this is going to change, in my opinion. Those high-profile programs have always been able to find an advantage. The thought was this would kind of reset the table. Well, really what's going to do is your program like Oklahoma, you've got 17 out of 20 that are in. Now you go and those three kids that haven't turned in, you find out why are you not in, why are you not committed, and I guarantee the phone is ringing right now across the nation to a whole list of recruits and saying, hey, we thought we had so-and-so in the mix. It's signing day. He's not in. If you can send us a letter of intent, this scholarship is yours. They're, they're, that pressure, like, for example, remember Mac Brown, how Mac Brown used to always push in July for that early. I mean, the, the July going into your junior year, as soon as you're eligible to commit, we want your commitment. We're offering you. Here it is on the table. It's now or never. And we used to talk about how that was hurting recruiting because these kids would commit because they felt the pressure, but then they see the situation at Texas and then they go somewhere else and they kind of left Texas in a lurch. You're just going to see that across the board. You're, I, I believe you, the high profile programs are going to push for as close to a hundred percent, you know, you're in on December 20th or you're out. You know, I, I think that's what it was going to. And, and so what it's going to do is it's still going to leave a program like Oklahoma state, in the lurch, but they got a longer window now to try to recover where Oklahoma is still going to get their guys. Like I said, those three, they're not in. They're calling them to find out why are you not in? And if there's not a good reason for you not to be in, then the scholarship offers are going out somewhere else. I mean, what do you agree or disagree? I do. I do agree wholeheartedly. It's going to make the remainder of January or December, excuse me, into January, and up to the beginning of February, kind of a scramble situation right. for not lower tier programs, but every single program across the nation. Why? Because you have an ex- expectancy for who you're signing, mm-hmm. which positions you're, you're really hitting at. Let's take Oklahoma since that's who we're talking about. It's clear to me that they made a, a very evident push to get offensive linemen oh, as yeah. well as defensive players. Right. Those are the two biggest Obviously, the defensive side of the ball is more than just one position. But then the offensive line, you see that as being really the majority of these recruits who have signed today come from either the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball or the offensive line. Well, what happens, as you're saying, when you didn't get that guy that you expected to, you didn't get that top-tier talent that you were hoping would anchor your recruiting class? Again, it, it's scramble mode. Who's going to get that player? We don't know. What can you do to ensure that he still comes to your university? That's up in the air. Will they even come to your university? There's no guarantee uh, on any of that information. So, again, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it puts a lot of universities, a lot of programs, and a lot of coaches into a scramble mode, not necessarily to find a guy who's willing to jump ship from, say, a lower-tier program because he has a lower star rating and move up the, the ladder, move right. up the chain into a bigger university with a little bit more prime time slots on TV. I, I don't necessarily think that's going on, but it is a, what can we do to shrub these guys? Is it got to be that first reaction? Mm-hmm. And the second reaction is, okay, it's, it's time to start planning for a backup. We need plan B. Well, and, and these, they, these schools go into national sign day with plan B. I mean, you, you got to have, I mean, Lincoln Riley and his staff, and, and here's, you know, you mentioned this, and I, I do believe there's some um, there's some truth to it in that, 
here's Lincoln Riley. He, he's just done the world tour, so to speak, with Baker Mayfield and all of his, all the guys on his staff and players that have won pro season awards. He's doing that. He's game planning for, for Georgia and he's putting together a backup plan. You have to have a backup plan in place. Uh, going into this and I and I I know that's what Oklahoma has um when you look at the 17 guys that are in what stands out to you the most I mean you mentioned the linemen I I think what what Bill Biedenboe is doing with this with this group of linemen that he has right now we we talk about and not just Oklahoma fans agree this most of the midwestern media agrees with Oklahoma has the best offensive line in the country mm-hmm. Bill Biedenboe, I believe, is the best offensive line coach in the country. And then you look at this this class is stacked with great offensive linemen, starting with a guy like Bray Walker here from Moore, Oklahoma. Well, I will tell you my initial reaction when you have a guy, as you've mentioned, Bray Walker. Sure, he was downgraded from a five-star to a, a four-star very recently. But then you add another guy in the mix like Tremonda Moore. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I have these these images of my in my head of Orlando Brown and, and Drew Samia signing as part of the same class and, and stepping in as freshmen. Um, obviously, sitting out a year, but stepping in as freshman, redshirt freshman, and, and having an impact on the game. We've seen how they've grown over their time at the position and in a starting role, being more featured. Obviously, the anchor of the offensive line is a guy like Orlando Brown. But again, you look at a Bray Walker, you look at the Tremonda Moore, and all of a sudden you're saying, can Oklahoma repeat what they've done with a guy like Orlando Brown with either of these two guys? And and that's not to say nobody else is capable of reaching or developing into one of the top players in the country at the position. But we're looking at those two guys because they're the, the headliners mm-hmm. along that offensive line when you're bringing in these two new or this new crop of recruits, not just two guys, but a, an entire new crop. Those are two big names that everybody's been focusing on. Yeah, you know, and also in that, you know, flip side of the ball, you got Ron Tatum, who was once one time a defensive uh, commitment for Texas, and now he, he had swapped over to come to Oklahoma. He sends in his letter of intent today. By the way, I was wrong. I really thought um, uh, Casey Thompson would flip and come back to Oklahoma, but he didn't do that. He sent in his letter uh, for the University of Texas. I, I, I really thought I really thought he was coming Blazing to Oklahoma. Yeah, um, but I, 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 like I said I just. I'm I'm a little bit <laughs> I'm a little bit missed by that just because it doesn't make sense to me. But hey, you know. But think think about this. We're, we're jumping ship here and we're changing the subject because we're going to, we got to talk, you know, it's, it's your top rival. So you got to talk about him there. There's already discussions amongst the Texas fan base. And I think for one part about that is amongst the, the coaching staff, when you look at, at this Texas program, they're going to go into their bowl game. I think they've got a favorable matchup with Missouri, but they are very unsettled at quarterback. And now you've got Cameron Rising coming in with that class. You've got Casey Thompson coming in with that class. There's already the talk about starting one of those two guys next year. That would be like the third year in a row Texas starts a true freshman at quarterback. How is that good? How is that good for your program? And that's what amazes me. I mean, I look, if I'm Casey Thompson, I think, okay, I've got a chance to play, right? Mm -hmm. But but then I'm, I'm also thinking if I'm another coach, if I'm, 
And maybe Oklahoma just didn't want him. I, they, they didn't want him bad enough. But if I'm Lincoln Riley, I'm looking at Casey Thompson. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, you can go to Austin and you'll be ready to play immediately, possibly. But there's no commitment. Show me the commitment that Texas has had to the quarterback position. Some of that was Charlie Strong. And, and now he, here comes the new guy. And he's, he's, you know, he's right on board with that same trend. And so you're going to go your third year in a row starting a true freshman quarterback if you're a recruit, is that good news or bad news for you when you're looking at going to a place? I mean, Tom Herman is the quarterback guru, but, I mean, Armani Foreman's dad was very vocal. Some other people were very vocal about him not doing with the offense what they expected him to do. If they go back to a freshman quarterback again next year, good or bad for this program? I don't know that it's good or bad. Um, and I'm going to take this stance that you have to put – the player who is capable of delivering victory onto the field, regardless of, of age, regardless of what position they're playing, their command of the offense, you've got to. When you want to look at Casey Thompson specifically, I, I was shocked just as much as you were because I thought he would flip back as well, knowing who – I mean, you've got a guy like Cameron Rising coming in that, that you've got to compete with, mm-hmm. who if he is what everybody says he is and it translates to the collegiate level, he could start at all four years. Well, for three, he'd start for three years at, at the University of Texas, which means you're going to be playing backup waiting maybe for a junior and Caesar, senior season right. as a, a red shirt. I just don't know that a lot of kids are are wanting to do that. That opportunity, as you said, is there. But to answer the question, is it a good or a bad thing? I, I, I can't answer that with a it's absolutely this or it's absolutely the other because I don't I don't see it in those terms. Yeah, but what I look at is fan bases make fun of other fan bases. That's just part of the rivalry, right? Right. And over the last almost a decade, the battle cry, the reason why Oklahoma fans have so much fun with Texas fans is because the battle cry has become, we'll wait till next year, right? Just wait till next year. Right. And that was the battle cry this year. Oklahoma wins in the Cotton Bowl, but hey, Texas fans, we have Tom Herman, and look what we're building, wait until next year. So to me, that if you go with a true freshman quarterback, that guarantees that the battle cry Last for two more seasons. It'll be there for the 2018 season, and it'll be there for the 2019 season. Because here's what you're doing: you're 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 there right now. You're saying, "Hey, wait till next year. Wait till next year. We got a big recruiting class." Well, that means all those guys are going to be younger guys. They're going to be true freshmen or whatever. So after they lose in the Cotton Bowl next year, what are you going to hear? Wait till next year. You know, and it, it just I don't know. It just it's I, you're right. At some point, you've got to get settled at a quarterback. Um. I'm just shocked that a guy like Tom Herman has not been able to make it work. It's, it, it, I feel like when, when you look back at his track record, yes, he had great success. I mean, going all the way back to an assistant coach, becoming a head coach at Houston, he had great success with quarterbacks on the collegiate level, but quarterbacks who were a particular mold of quarterback. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he can – I think he's a one-shirt pony. I, I, what Tom Herman has proven to me this year is that he cannot adapt his offense to his quarterback. He has to have that style of quarterback. And I feel like 
Ellinger, he's out, man. I really do. If, if Kevin Rising comes in or Casey Thompson comes in and they're able to show through the fall that they have a, a grasp, even a small grasp of vertical passing, then that means a guy like Ellinger's done. I agree. And the biggest staple for a guy like Ellinger is that he has the competitive nature right. that you want in a quarterback. And when you see a quarterback going into battle and, and kind of leading that charge, what does it do for the offense? Well, obviously, not only the offense, but the rest of the team as well. It's it's going to energize the team. I think that has been what allowed him to step in as the quarterback, but he's never been the most talented guy on that roster. No, that, that, but that's what I'm getting at is that Tom Herman's not so, – he was not able to adjust. He had, he had good talent at running back, mm-hmm. really good talent at running back. And so I'm thinking if – a multidimensional coach sees the talents at running back and not in the passing game. I'm changing and I'm going to a ground and pound offense and not a vertical offense. Well, what he did was he went to a ground and pound offense, but his quarterback was still the focal point. And and a guy like Chris Warren, who was just seldom used. I mean, I, I feel like Warren is an NFL type back. I man, I don't want to give anyone excuses. And I'm not offering it up, but up I'm any offering excuses, excuses to Texas. But, but what I want to know is how much does the offensive line, the injuries, the recomposing that offensive line, how much does it play into that? Number one and two is are we are we gonna give Tom Herman a pass because no. he's playing with players who aren't his own recruits? I don't think at the University of Texas you get a pass. Huh? And I, I really don't. I think at the University of Houston you get a pass. I think at a lower tier. But I mean, you talk to any Texas fan. And again, we're talking about a program that's that's not been relevant in almost a decade in the Big 12. Nationally, they've not been relevant in, since 2009. Which is odd to me because they always have – typically they have the best recruiting class right. in and, the Big 12. And I, next year they'll be preseason top 25 just like they were this year. You talk to Joe Texas fan, and they're going to tell you that they are the most important program in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. That That – no one else matters other than Texas. And if you don't have Texas, then the Big 12 falls apart. They're going to tell you all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Would you like but, to know where Texas ranks this year? But what, what I'm saying, they're hey, hey, well, they're, what, they're, they're, they're top 10, I guarantee you. They're top five. Okay. They're top three. But the, the point I'm making is, so when, you, when, you're, when you're signing top three <laughs> recruiting classes uh-huh. and, and your fan base believes every year that they are the front runners in the Big 12 and every year the media and the coaches just give you that token role in the top 25, whether you deserve it or not, you don't get a free pass. There's no such thing as a free pass. Are you telling me Lincoln Riley falls on his face this year? At the University of Oklahoma, and, and, and no, no, no. It, I mean, it's a different it's a different story for no, Lincoln no, it's Riley not. Lincoln Riley has had the ability to interact with his recruits. He's the one who's actually out on the recruiting trail, I, I, recruiting to the still, University no, of Oklahoma over the past three years. But I'm, but the the point is, he could say, "This is my first year. We're just getting adjusted to me and my system." I was here, but I was here under no. Bob Stoops. I'm just saying there there are no at this level. There are no free passes. And the what I'm concerned about, by the way, we're talking about Texas way, way more than I ever thought we would. But what I'm concerned about, if I'm a Texas fan, is I'm concerned that he did not show the ability to, to adapt his offense to the strengths. I mean, he proved that he has to have that guy, that quarterback, that style. And if he doesn't have that style, he has no adaptability. I would agree. 
So, all right, let's jump back to Oklahoma's recruiting class, Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich, and I'm Matt. Thanks for joining us, and whether you're catching us on TalkShoe, whether you catch us on Facebook Live or uh, on iTunes, what are you laughing at? Just the conversation. Anyway, um, okay, so Oklahoma's uh, 17 guys that are in, you know, they did, the Sooners did get their quarterback in Tanner Mordecai Mm -hmm. um, out of Waco, Texas, by the way, which kind of shows you. Uh, I love the fact, you know, you got Baker Mayfield out of Austin, Texas. Now you got Tanner Mordecai coming in out of Waco, Texas. I mean, that's understandable for Waco. Well, I think it's understandable for Austin based on what what Texas has has done or has failed to do over the last couple of years. Um, But Tanner Mordecai jumps in there, you know, homegrown guy. Huh? Tater? Tanner. Not Tater. Enunciate. Enunciate. I'm teasing you. Hey, aren't you the one? that that, That goes back to a conversation for you guys who are tuning in. Facebook Live, for those of you who will listen later, that's an inside joke. I apologize for bringing it to the table. Yeah, because what word did you make a two-syllable word? Tater. No, no, no. Tater tot. No, earlier today, we were just in an off-air conversation. Yeah, champ, you made it a two-syllable okay, word. Okay, go ahead and just explain to everybody. Is anyway, our, our okay, inside. so, uh, but you got guys like, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Fields, homegrown talent, and uh, the guy out of Midwest City, Jalen Redmond. This is a good class, and I, I mean, this is – if Oklahoma, I, I believe that they're going to close it out with at least three more signees, whether they're the guys that are committed or they're somebody else, Oklahoma's going to end up with the top 10 class, in my opinion, yeah. as well. Um, they, they currently rank there if all guys sign that right. are expected to. But who, who stands out to you? When, you? when you look at these 17 names that are in, um, I mentioned a couple of them. There, there's one guy I didn't mention that I'll, I'll bring out here if you don't mention him, but when, when you look at the 17, you made the post at Heartland Sports. Um, you've got them broken down by stars. Um, who stands out to you in this class that you think, okay, this is the guy that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at maybe playing a role at some time in the very near future with this team? Yeah, I'm going to go with more of a surprise pick. Um, I don't, I don't want to pick someone obvious because we can look at who's graduating. We can look at who's moving on to the next level early as well and say, well, obviously there's a hole to fill. Um, Like I said, I'm going to go with a little bit of that, but also at the same time, I'm going to go with a little bit of a surprise because you just mentioned his name and it is Jalen Redmond. Okay. I don't know um, that he can be an oboe Okoronkwo, but he has that potential coming off the edge, being a pass rusher and being an elite pass rusher. Kid's a four-star recruit right now. We know that he's got the athleticism. We know he's got the size. We know he's got the talent. It's always the question of how does that translate and what kind of work are they willing to put in? Because typically coming from the high school level, you're the best player on the field regardless of where you're playing. Mm -hmm. My understanding of Jalen Redman is not only is he – playing that defensive end. He could transition, be that tweener guy. Again, that, that comparison to an Okoronkwo, very recent comparison. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, did Jalen Redmond play running back as well? I don't think so. I, I, I could I, be wrong. I Maybe think he did. He did. Um, I thought he was a tight end type position. I'm not going to expand upon that because well, I think he went between both of those. But when I'm looking at a guy who can have – a big impact, a guy who can make a name for himself at the University of Oklahoma almost immediately. I am looking towards a surprise candidate in a guy like Jalen Redman. And it's because of those reasons that I've mentioned. Obviously, there is that hole or that void mm-hmm. that, that someone will have to fill eventually. And I think that is a Jalen Redmond. I mean, he's a candidate to be a guy who steps in. 
if he does play running back, what I was going to say was I was extremely impressed by the fact that when these high school players are playing both sides of the ball to continuously be productive, mm-hmm. not only playing every, basically every snap on the defensive side, but then to step in and be a workhorse. Again, that's predicated on him being a running back. I don't, I don't have him pulled up in front of me. I was depending on you for that. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, Jada Redmond is definitely going to be a defensive guy Yeah, uh, for sure. at this level, but I, I was, I, I thought he was a, I only looked at him on defensive stuff, but I think he was – I want to say he was like a tight end or something, but uh, we, we can get back on that. The, the, guy that I, the guy that I'm looking at is a running back in this class is T.J. Pledger, and that, that's the guy that I, I feel like you've got a good stable of backs, a, a surprising stable of backs, but it's a stable of backs that, you know, Rodney Anderson – is he one and done after? I mean, not one and done, but is, is he going to be gone after next year? Um, you know, you, you look at those guys, is someone going to transfer out? Something, anytime you have a strong stable of running backs, something happens. Guys either leave early or guys transfer. And I think TG Pledger, he, he's he's not the big size back. He's 5'9", 190, but he's that all-around guy. Um ESPN and rivals had him as the number five running back in the country, um, four-star recruit. I, I just feel like that, he, you know, Clemson wanted him, Georgia wanted him, Ohio State wanted him, you know, and when those type of schools want you, that means there's something special about you. And I think TJ Pledger has the, has the ability to come in, maybe not immediately as a freshman next year, but take a red shirt, but, but continue that tradition of strong running backs and part of that, that next wave that I believe is going to come in 2019. I think, I think you're, you're going to see a shakeup after next season with Oklahoma's running backs. Um, I don't know how much of a shakeup, but I think it's enough where a guy like TJ Pledger can, can come in in 2019 after having a year of strength and conditioning and then getting ready that you see this guy really make a difference on the field, uh, beginning his, what would be his redshirt freshman year. So he, he's a guy that I, when I look at this class that I just think, well, yeah, I, I think he's, he's going to be there. Um, wh- what do you think of, of the guys that are not here? Do you, do you expect any of them to, to not show up or what are your thoughts there? You know, this is me just going out on a limb without really any information. Um, what Oklahoma has is one wide receiver commit. Um, when you look at what Oklahoma currently has playing on the field right. and how young they are, I don't see a lot of spots. I don't see a lot of opportunities available. So I could see a guy like Travion Johnson not signing with Oklahoma, but instead op- reopening his recruitment as of today and and looking for a place where he can not necessarily get on immediately, but at least get some playing time, some experience, and then build upon that going into a second, second year as a sophomore. I'm not saying that he won't sign with Oklahoma, but I'm also not saying that he will sign. Of course, these three guys are up in the air at this point in time. I, I don't see any way um, in my opinion that a guy like Jordan Austin doesn't sign with the premium that Oklahoma has put on defensive guys. Um, he's a safety six, one safety number 50 ranked at the position in the country. I see him as, as being a likely signee when it all comes down and, and we're past February, his name should be on that list. And I don't really know much about Tavion Thomas. So, Number 16 running back in the country, 6'2". He's got the size. He's got the ability. Does looking at Oklahoma's roster scare him? Hmm. 
Yeah, and especially when we mentioned TJ Pledger, who's coming in on this class. Um, okay, you're younger than me, so uh, technology is more influential on on you than it was on me because I'm old. Right? I, I get that. Um, but um, what Oklahoma did today with having former guys like Adrian Peterson, Kenny Stills come in and announce these recruits as they signed the, the, the digital media that they use today. I mean, how, in your opinion, how big of an impact does that have on a kid's recruiting? You know, I, I, I always say this, I, I didn't think the brand was a big deal until my son was in the recruiting process. Uh-huh. And the first time he got recruited by a Nike school, it was, I mean, he was like, dude, it's a Nike school. I'm there, you know, and that, that actually played a role with who he signed with. To me, I didn't, that didn't matter to me. You know, at, when I was a player, I, I was being recruited. It didn't matter to me when I was a coach I, on the high school level. I didn't care about the brand, but these kids do. But now you've got, you know, not only do you have the Nike brand, you got the Jumpman logo on the stuff, mm-hmm. but you got like Kenny Stills, Adrian Peterson announcing your arrival. How big is that? I think Oklahoma basically has the trifecta for recruiting right now. They're a college football playoff team, one of the final four. They are part of the Jumpman brand at this point in time. While those uniforms have yet to be rolled out, it's well-known. It's public information. And then you add to it the fact that you've talked about branding and, and now the names. How cool is it that a future NFL Hall of Famer is announcing you? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not an everyday event. I'm not walking down the street and someone's saying, yeah. So-and-so is here to announce that Rich Ducre is walking into Crest. No, that, that doesn't happen for don't, me. They don't they do that so, when you go to the grocery store? Because so, I think they hide the uh, candy. The, that's the manager. Oh, okay. Um, they announced the manager is coming in. Needless to say, I feel like Oklahoma's got that perfect storm. Does it make a big difference? I think it makes as big of a difference as uniform combinations do. And that's saying that there is weight to it, but ultimately you, your goal is to not play for a college, it's to play in the NFL. Right. So you are weighing as a recruit, you're weighing who can get you to that next level, where can you have an immediate impact, and, and where can you be developed. Mm-hmm. But of course, if two teams are basically in a tie on the pros and cons list, then it, it absolutely, in my opinion, comes down to those things. Uniform combinations, branding, former players, who are the endorsements coming from? Because if I'm a recruit, that, that's what I'm asking. Those are the questions I'm asking. So, yeah, does it have a, an impact? Absolutely. Is it the number one impact? It shouldn't be. If it is, um, just a word to the wise for anyone who's in the recruiting realm and is being recruited. Don't let someone announcing you be, be the number one reason you pick a school. Well, and that's what I'm saying. I, I, to me, I always looked at the X's and O's of the yeah. situation, the winning tradition of the situation, and really how they're set up at my position. That's Those are all things I right. wanted to know more than right. <laughs> what logo was on the brand. But, like, my son still wears – I mean, his playing days are long over, but he still wears his Nike jumpsuit and all that stuff. He's, he's very proud of it, and, and he earned it. You know, he earned the, the ability to – to to wear that and and so forth i just i mean i don't know i just i i'm different generation okay different era it it definitely means a lot more now than what it did a long time ago in a galaxy far far away um ken gaskell on facebook 
uh, answers the Jalen Redmond question for us. Um, he says uh, his huddle page lists him as an outside linebacker and a defensive end. Doesn't list him uh, anything else on the other side of the ball. So um, there we go. There we have it. Maybe in a JV game or in scrap time uh, at one point, he got to play on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know, but uh, thanks, Ken, for helping us out with that situation. All right, let's transition away from recruiting and go into a little bit of uh, uh, on bowl talk. Um, it's not as big surprise to anybody that's been keeping up with this football program to know that Matt Romar will not be available for the Rose Bowl. Uh, other than that, it kind of it seems like this team is going to be relatively healthy. And you, you saw them um, – you, you saw them um, – um, sorry, I was just reading uh, a tweet about – how this how the recruits are now texting that picture of their national letters of intent instead of using fax machines. Um anyway, um you can scan with a camera. Yeah, I, for sure, yeah. I, I just I, I the tweet says uh, bad news for machine companies. Oh, you football ain't using one anymore. Recruits now text pictures of their le- of their national letters of intent. Uh that's from Cinescoop.com, our, our rivals friends. But anyway, um Oklahoma was getting healthy as the season was winding down offensively and defensively. But when you when you look at Georgia and you look at what they're going to bring offensively uh, with this this running back attack, does it matter to you? I mean, the Sooners haven't had Matt Romar since like week three. Are you – does that – when you look at that, do you think, oh, same old, same old, or do you think, dang, I really wish we would have had him? I do wish we would have had him because Matt Romar – at the beginning of the season expressed this idea that the defensive scheme mm-hmm. they were employing allowed him to really open up his game and do what he's good at. We saw how disruptive he was early on in the season. We saw that he could have been the face of the defensive line. Now, granted, without Matt Romar, some of these other players have had to grow up just a little bit. And right. I'm specifically looking at Devonta Lampton because he was a guy who initially – we weren't talking about, obviously, him not playing and then stepping in it and filling that void became a name that a lot of people started to recognize. I wouldn't say that he was a household name, but he 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 has that the ability to step in and do what Matt Romar did. The question is, will he do it? And again, I look at Matt Romar and how disruptive he was knowing that he forced essentially – a running back to attempt to go around him, which never worked out exactly how a running back would have wanted that to. But he also put pressure on the quarterback up the middle, which then helped helped out guys like like Okoronkwo. And we saw a lot of success because Mm. those guys were working in tandem. So needless to say, do I wish we had Matt Romar? Absolutely. The unfortunate case is that that is not going to happen as Oklahoma prepares and, and then plays Georgia in the Rose Bowl. So they're going to have to work with what they've got. Do they have the ability to stop the run? I don't know, Matt. I, I still don't know at this point in time. And that isn't buying into the media saying Oklahoma hasn't played defense and their defense has been questionable. It's it's based upon the product that I've seen on the field yeah. where a group like Tulane comes in, scores two rushing touchdowns, long runs mm-hmm. up front. Is well, that I mean, going to be the case in the adjustments? I go back to West Virginia, you know, and what's West Virginia doing? Right. And I mean, they, they, and that's, well, I want to talk about the big 12 bowl schedule today because we haven't had a chance to get into that. But um, I mean, West Virginia has no offense left. 
By the way, Will Greer coming back, big, big news for West Virginia because he'll be, you know, this year I think it was, you know, it was Baker Mayfield and Mason Rudolph, the top two quarterbacks in the Big 12. I think next year Will Greer takes that one of those spots. And, and if Kyler Murray's there, I think Kyler Murray slides into that spot as well. But big, big news for West Virginia to get Will Greer back yeah. next season. But you don't have him for the bowl game. And West Virginia virtually has no offense. And Crawford said he's not playing in the bowl game. But but when they came into Norman, you knew they were going to run, and they still had a lot of success running on this Oklahoma football team. I do think schematics mean mean a lot, and and I think when you don't have to worry about the the multi faucet spread offense, then you can you can it's easier to stop if you have the personnel. It's easier to stop a traditional running attack line up in the eye formation and so forth than it is to stop a running attack when you're spread thin. I don't expect Georgia to try to spread Oklahoma thin. Yeah. And I think, and I've said this before, I think it goes back to a lot of similarities between this game and the Ohio Here, State game. Here's what I want to say as well is everyone is so focused on Oklahoma's defense that I feel the bigger question is how is Georgia going to stop Oklahoma's offense? And and all of the the conversation that I've seen play out, all the articles have been predicated on one idea, and that's getting pressure on Baker Mayfield. Teams can do that, but they're going up against still, for me, arguably the, the best offensive line in the country. Right. Needless to say, you put those two, the scrambling ability, the, the ability to escape tackles, and then that offensive line around Baker Mayfield, you're saying you got to put pressure on him. He's better on the run when he's moving, when he's scrambling. He's still making accurate throws. So just because you get pressure, again, I'm saying nobody wants to focus on this Georgia secondary. It's an idea that has been brought up, but it is not the focus of the conversation. When will people begin to say, okay, Oklahoma's offense is, is pretty legit. They third, lead the third country. quarter of the Rose Bowl is when they're going to start talking about and that. And you've got to ask the question of can – we're talking about Oklahoma being susceptible to the run. Georgia's susceptible to the pass. So when they face the Heisman winning quarterback with some of the top receivers in right. the country, what's going to happen? Well, and, How do they stop yeah, and, and, and Like I said, no one's asking that question. What, what – what you mentioned and, and what's true about this situation is not only about pressure on Baker Mayfield, but who's the best quarterback in the nation under pressure? Lamar Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, that's just, the, I mean, the point is bring the pressure because he's going to eat you up because right. mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that the talent at receiver, yeah. I mean, I'm, when you're bringing, there's designs, design plays. I mean, you can run right. screens off of that too. But the, the thing is, when you're bringing pressure, you can run a screen. But what I think of when I have a, a, a the talent level that OU has across the board, and I've said this, I, I, I mean, I've said it on our podcast, I said on the radio that I do, what Oklahoma is able to do with one personnel group is incredible. I mean, you, you, you can That's go, where you, you can get in trouble. You can go five wide. You can go eye formation. You can go pistol. You can go diamond. You, you, you can do whatever you want to. Without changing personnel out, you can even throw the wildcat in there for sure. And we've seen them do that, which I'm 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 not in favor <laughs> of, but we've seen them do that. But the but the point is, when you got a, a personnel group as diverse and as uh, a talented as what Oklahoma has, when you bring extra pressure, depending on how much pressure you bring, you leave people one on one situations. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So who's the one on one matchup 
that you if you're the Georgia secondary of of Oklahoma's weapons, who do you feel like you're gonna who's that who's that one on one matchup when you look at these guys and say, oh, we can beat him one one on one. We've got this. Is it Mark Andrews? Is it Ceedee Lamb? I mean, is it Demetri Flowers coming out of the backfield? Is it Jeff Bidette? I mean, who is your one-on-one matchup that you feel confident that you're going to win? Because I promise you, you bring pressure, and Baker Mayfield is going to find that matchup. And, and you're, you're right with what you're saying, but the reality is this, this media cycle is still so pro-SEC that you've got to, I mean, you've got to find the story, and the SEC is the story, and the top defenses in the SEC against a Oklahoma Heisman. They're not saying the the top offense in the nation. They're saying the top defense in the nation versus the Heisman Trophy winner. Mm-hmm. Well, the Heisman Trophy winner, Baker Mayfield's really, really good, but he's not the only guy on this team. And he's always given credit to the surrounding well, yeah, cast. Yeah, he has, but no one else around him. I know. You I know, know. No one else has covered and, this and that's, outside the state of Oklahoma. That's you, typical. Right. So, okay, uh, real, real fast, jumping back. Uh, I hate to jump back because we need to go forward when you talk about Trey Young, but um, – Bob Prisbillo tweets while, while we're recording this. Lincoln Riley's having his National Sign Day press conference. Bob Prisbillo tweets that there's no surprises, says Lincoln Riley. Oklahoma is able to get everyone they expected to sign. So what does that mean? You got you got three guys missing. I don't know how you look into yeah, that. Yeah, you know, you as a as a coach for the University of Oklahoma, they were able to make contact twice between the Big Twelve right. championship game and in signing day today. So I I feel like through those conversations, whether those were in-home visits, whether those were phone calls, whatever that may have looked like, obviously you you put a precedent on on the most pressing uh, positions where you absolutely have to sign players. Um, and the rest kind of fall by the wayside, which is why, again, I think we saw more signees coming from the defensive side of the ball, more signees from uh, the offensive line than, than anywhere else mm-hmm. of this 17 17- current signees so needless to say um you know we don't know what the scholarship situation is who's leaving who's not what's available what will be available um so him saying that i think is a these were the guys that that we were confident in who gave us their word or it was a handshake deal when we met with them or had that phone conversation with them the other three who currently haven't signed maybe didn't have that confidence level in them, but it also could mean that they said, hey, we just don't have the scholarship availability yeah. Um, yeah. over the past two weeks. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. That, I don't know. I don't know what the case I, is. I don't either. Um, so I'm just saying you got the 17 and you're happy about it. And well, you yeah, I mean, you got to be happy, but you, but you can't you can't say, oh, we really wish we had 20, you know, dang it. No, <laughs> we got I, the I 17, but we really needed those three. You, know, you but, can't but, say but that. You could say something of, you know, we're we're glad we've got the 17 that we've signed. Yeah. But there's also room for growing. Oh, yeah. And, 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 for there's no way. There, so you, you could say that, but to just end it. Right there, there are some suspicions that are raised. Yeah, I don't think there's any way that this is where the, the class ends. I, I don't think well, there's no any way. Well, no surprises. Does that mean the three are well, – may, Maybe the three, three said, you know, we're, we're just not – we're not ready right. to sign yet. It's not time yet. But we're signing. It's just not time. But I'm telling you, I'm telling those kids, fine, take your time, but we got to fill this spot. Right. And so we will be talking to mm-hmm. – you. I mean, I, that's, yeah, that's the message I'm sending – but whatever. All right. Um, Big 12 bowl season starts this Saturday with Texas Tech, South Florida. Um, it, I, it's cryptic. <laughs> what? I'm just looking at that tweet. That's cryptic. Oh, um, <laughs> I, um, 
I don't know how to I, – I look at the – initially when the bowl schedule came out, I, I looked at these matchups and I thought, okay, West Virginia is the one for sure loser. <laughs> I, I mean, I just that, – that's that's my thought. West Virginia, they're going to lose to Utah, not because Utah is better, but West Virginia has no offense. I mean, I think there's just – there's no offense for West Virginia. And I, you can't – it's hard to beat a team, even though Utah's 6-6. Six and six, It's hard to beat a team when you don't have an offense. Oh, I picked West Virginia. Did you? Well, yes, I'll, I'll get a point on you in our, our pick contest there. <laughs> but Texas Tech, I'm South Florida, so well. uh, Utah, West Virginia, Kansas State at UCLA – or at UCLA, Kansas State against UCLA, um, Texas, Missouri, Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State is, is incredibly enticing to me. Um, Stanford TCU, I like that matchup as well. Uh, Iowa State Memphis, I mean, there, there's, and then Oklahoma Georgia obviously on on January first rounds out what the Big Twelve is doing in the bowl season. Is, is there? Do you have like when you when you look at these matchups? Do you feel like there's one matchup where you say, "Yep, they're the losers and they're the winners," and do you feel like there's a match? There's a one or two matchups where you think. Big 12 definitely has the advantage here. I mean, what are your thoughts when you're going to cheat over, cheat over my screen? Uh, you weren't paying attention while I was reading you the matchups, were you? I was, but it, I can't. I'm not going to remember all those. Gotcha. You, you're throwing me a list of. So what you're telling you know, me is you've 12, not looked at the. Teams. I mean, you've you've done your bowl pick them, but. Um, we're apologizing to our yeah, Facebook Live. My bad. Live, Facebook I, I Live did phone. not know that that was um, going to go off. But anyway, um, you're telling you you did your bowl pick them matchup. Picks, but you didn't really like. I, no, I'm no, just no. saying, I'm so, having so a lot let, of confidence. Let, let me tell you I'm, I'm just gaining went, a let lot me, of confidence let me tell you how right now. There are 40 games, like 42, I think, something like that. Ridiculous. There's, there's a button at the top that says "Pick Favorites." Oh man! So I load up the page. I click. There's the money favorites. on the line here, dude. I pick the favorites. Then I went through and I said, "Okay, these are obvious mismatches to me," and I, I switched them around but with the games that you're mentioning here um i feel like the competitiveness that texas brings they're not a favorite i feel like they've got a chance to win i can flip a coin on that one it's it's not a clear-cut decision for me but when it comes to a team like west virginia and utah i still feel like west virginia is a clear-cut winner why because they bring an unorthodox defense and and i think if they can create turnovers they can run out the clock before Utah has enough time to score points. Needless to say, but they've got to score points themselves. Are, are, are you saying, counting you on defensive tell, scores? I'm in that saying game? you can tell I put a lot of research into <laughs> picking these teams. Zero, okay, zero research. So I'm giving okay. you that and leaving well, it there. That concludes the bowl preview portion of our podcast because uh, one of us is not ready for that. Um, let's talk. Are there bowl games happening? <laughs> Saturday, man. It starts Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Just, just leave that uh, bull pick'em contest alone. Don't, don't worry about that. Uh, um, now, now oh, it's me. Now it's me. Now it's me getting phone calls. Um, man, all right. We, we've got to talk. Uh, odd if it was the same person. Uh, we've got to talk Trey Young. Um, I, I initially thought coming in. I, I mean, I, as as. As recently as Tuesday, when I did Fox Radio, I, I I thought Trey Young, there's a good chance OU gets this kid for two years. I I, I said there's a greater than fifty. As as recently as Tuesday, I said there's a greater than fifty percent chance that OU has him for two years. I'm down to twenty five percent now. Two days later, mm-hmm. 
we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, December 20th. It'll go live tonight or it'll go live Thursday. I'm down. I mean, I really am. I'm, I'm down. I, I've cut that in half, down to 25% chance he stays. And the only reason I think he would stay is, is number one, he, he's from Norman. He loves the University of Oklahoma. He's enjoying being the coach, the big man on campus. And number two, to get his body ready for the NBA. I, I know there's a lot of Steph Curry comparisons, but guess what? Steph Curry's, I don't like him. Steph Curry's not playing right now um, because he's injured. I, I think there, there are things that, that two years of college and college strength and conditioning can do for your body to get you ready. That, those are the only two. I mean, the guy's going to be a lottery pick. I, unless he hits the wall, and there's there's a chance. I mean, he's a true freshman. There's a chance midway through Big 12 conference play, this kid just hits that wall. And then I think if we see that happen, then we, yeah, he's he's back. But he, he continues his trend. I mean, 22 22 assists and some of them were kind of cherry picking type assists give me easy things but still 22 he's leading the nation he's averaging a double double he's leading the nation in scoring he's one of the top guys in the nation in assist i i, I don't know one of he is the top guy well, in assists. But, but okay based off 22 on tuesday night i mean that that boosted him up there yeah but he but before that he was averaging 8.8 it didn't matter i, I mean i'm just saying when you get 22 in one night, that your average when you're averaging 8.8 and you drop 22, like if you're averaging 8.8 and you drop 10, that's one thing. I think that's going to increase your average a little bit. But if you're averaging 8.8 and you drop 22, that you're going to see your average take yeah, a big, the, big jump. It should have jumped up by approximately two, one and a half to two, because we've played 10 games at this point. Right. So 22. I mean, you divide that by 10, you're looking at approximately two. Like I said. Per game, average that is. Needless to say, do you have a question for me, or can I? Can well, I no, keep talking. I'm just, now? I'm just curious on, on Trey Young because, like I said, I, I've changed my but opinion of him staying is changing. I, I can tell every you, day. there are some measurables when it comes to the combine, when it comes to the NBA draft, when when people are actually evaluating a guy like Trey Young. There are some measurables where where they will say he's not up to snuff. Mm-hmm. But that mostly comes in breakaway speed. It comes in the ability um, to just explode with a ball in his hands. Trey Young doesn't have that, but what he does have is an elite basketball IQ. Right. He has elite court vision. And three, he has the ability. Not only is he creating for himself, he's creating for other players, but he also can shoot from anywhere on the floor. And those are things that NBA teams are looking for at this point in time. Will those measurables hurt him? Most likely. Would they be justified in hurting him? I've never been a fan of measurables because all that is to me is a number on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It says what what's your projection, what's your ceiling in a measurable form. Whereas, I mean, Greg Oden, one of the best players of that draft – Never played a game. Well, he never made a name for himself playing games because of some unbeknownst injuries. I mean, we can go all the way back to to Michael Jordan's era when Jordan was drafted in in 84. 84? 84. Is that right? I think it's right. But needless to say, we'll have have our our buddy Ken Gassel get on that. I'm saying we, we see players who are taken high up in the draft that just don't pan out. And that happens each and every year. So when I'm looking at a guy like Trey Young, and it's all based on measurables. They're taken so high because of their measurables. When I'm looking at a guy like Trey Young who may not have all the measurables that you want as a uh, guy who's 
essentially telling a team, this is who we're going to pick. What it comes down to for me is Trey Young's IQ, his ability to do things that no other player is doing. I think he's an underrated ball handler. I think he's an underrated shooter, which is surprising at this point in time, because the only thing people talk about is his release. They don't talk about all the other mechanics that go into that for him to actually, whether he's off balance, whether his feet are under him, the ability to score and score consistently is something I think more people should be talking about. So needless to say, Trey Young, absolute transcendent player, once in a generation type player, but his progress, people are attributing to Long Kruger, and I can't disagree with it. No, I agree. I mean, we, you and I both have spent time with Coach Kruger, and, and we know what what he. And you you look at a guy like uh, like Buddy Hield, and you, you saw his, his progression yeah, his in, in, in four years. Of the year. uh, you know, Trey Young definitely better than Buddy Hield as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, best best freshman at Oklahoma since when? Ever. 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 Mm-hmm. Ever. Ever. I mean, the I, I, mean, I wouldn't put Blake a... I wouldn't put Blake Griffin in that conversation. So the only player that I can think of that would even draw a comparison is Wayman Tisdale. Well, yeah, so I I, I could go with the Wayman. I I mean, gosh, Alvin Adams, which I mean, I know I know I'm old. I'm just thinking, there to me to to be best ever, he's got to do a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got to beat Kansas in Lawrence, and he's got to win the Big Twelve Championship for me to say best ever. Okay. I really, I mean, honestly, Buddy, Buddy never won the Big Twelve Championship, and of course, he was. There's no comparison of him as a freshman and and Trey Young as a freshman. Blake, I don't think beat Kansas in Lawrence, and I know that he didn't win the Big Twelve Championship. Um, so there are things out there that that are certainly achievable for him. I think there's the potential to be the best ever, but mm-hmm. ten games in just collegiate career, I'm not willing I to say best ever. I, I, I mean, the the potential for me to back off of that. Is there, but I can't at this point. See, it's the to me, it's the Baker Mayfield argument, you know, because Craig is really ready to say Baker's the best quarterback ever to play for the University of Oklahoma. Well, I've been watching OU football longer than twenty years. Well, he's been watching for about fifteen of his twenty-one best quarterback. Okay, statistically, well, I mean, so was Landry Jones until until two years so ago. Um, but I'm saying there are things that I believe Baker can do. To, to solidify that belief, I'm just not ready to go there yet. If you want me to say one of the best, no problem at all. Same thing with Trey Young, one of the but best. You're you're just saying freshman. Yeah, but I'm saying you're not saying player to ever the, grace I'm the I'm saying court. it's the same argument. I feel like I, I feel like he has the opportunity to be the best freshman. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm saying he's one of the best. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll so, see how the season so pans in, out. I don't know if he's gonna be one, better than Blake. In Griffin. his one year, he's got to get a win at, at Fall Gallon and then win the Big 12 regular season or tournament? Either one. Okay. I mean, I, I really feel like if, if he does those, <laughs> no, it is hands down. And I, and I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. Trey Young dropped 29 points on a number three I get team. that. I get that. That's great. Do they deserve to be number three? That's that's still yet to be you know seen. I, I get all of that. The, the argument is there. I'm just not ready to jump on board with it just yet to 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 go all the way with that. In time, in time, I might be able to, but I'm just not ready there. I, and I really feel like, yeah, you beat Kansas in Lawrence, you win the Big Twelve, and and yes, I, there's there's no there's no other way around it. I want to I want to look at what no, you, that's just extremely difficult to do. 
Well, but if you're going to be the best ever, I mean, you don't get called the best ever because it was easy. Why? Let me ask you this. Why are those your requirements? Well, what do you think the guy, what do you, I mean, what do you think, what, what should be the requirements for the best ever? Because you just said you're not a big stats profile guy. So what, not, what does he need to do to be the best ever in your mind? One is, is you obviously have to make the players around you better. Two is, does that. Yeah. is that has to that has to be evident in the product on the court. And yes, that translates to wins. But at the same time is to to quantify it and to say, okay, we're just gonna compare stats. I, I don't think that's fair because you're comparing players who don't play, play the same position now. So how are those stats really comparable? If a guy like Wayman Tisdale averaged ten rebounds over his career, mm-hmm. I mean, do do you translate those and say, well, Trey Young's averaging close to to 10 assists. Right. I mean, are those translatable stats? I I don't think so because they affect the game in different ways. So needless to say, yeah, I'm not a big, big proponent of saying stats or measurables are the way to go. And so when I'm looking at it, Trey Young, yeah, he makes the players around him better. But I also think he has the ability to be one of the best shooters um, in all of college basketball. And that's not just for this year. That's in history. And so when we look at being one of the, the better shooters, making players around you, the ability to also, I, I don't want to put him in the same category as a guy like Magic Johnson, who completely changed the way people played the game uh, because of the way he passed the ball and in his size. I don't want to put him in the same category as a guy like, like Pete Maravich either. Another guy who I don't have changed a, the way. You know what the reality is though? I feel like with all the comparisons to – Trey Young, I think Pete Maravich fits the most. Uh, people are comparing him to Steph Curry. I feel like he's better than Steph Curry was as a freshman at Davidson. What does he do? The, the guy can, like you said, he can score from anywhere on the floor, and he is a master. I mean, his, his court vision is unbelievable, and and he is a master at dropping the dimes and you know, dishing out the assists. Who does he compare to? Pete Maravich. Pete Maravich could score from anywhere he wanted to, and Pete Maravich could pass the ball like none other. I, I think the Pete Maravich comparison is a lot more of a realistic comparison than anybody else we've heard him compared to. So to, to answer your question, the ultimate kind of uh, measuring stick is, is, is a player changing the way that the game is played, changing the culture? And I think you could say that about a guy like Blake Griffin. I think you can say that about a Wayman Tisdale. I also think you can say that about Trey Young. It's it's not necessarily objective mm-hmm. in statement. It's it's always going to be based in opinion. And so I'm still on the on the boat of Trey Young being the best freshman to ever play at Oklahoma. You're not ready to to jump in and, and start rowing that boat down the river with me. Um I'm I'm just not and and we'll get there. I mean I, honestly Time will tell. Um, you know, Wayman Tisdale was an All-American as a freshman. You know, I, I think I think he's on his way to being an All-American. Um, he's on his way to being the National Player of the Year. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> we're 10 games in. We are. but That's we, the thing. We're yeah, 10 games thing, in. We haven't even started conference play I yet. I get that. And what we have to say, 10 games. The Big 12 is going to be an extremely difficult I conference agree. this year. I've gone on record twice now saying that the Big 12 – can legitimately have 100% of the conference playing in the postseason this year. How many times has no, that? Has, no, yes. no way. 
Matt, look I'm at TCU. To... Look okay, at, look at Texas Tech. These okay. are teams that are all of a sudden in the top twenty-five who traditionally have been terrible. Terrible, Isaiah. I am telling you right now, there's no way all twelve, all ten Big Twelve teams. Seventy percent. I can go seventy, but there's no way you're getting hundred. I'm willing to bet you right now. Sixty percent is a sure thing to me. Like if if I mean, the Big Twelve, if you're making like you're a wager, a hundred percent, I would say every single time six teams make the postseason. I feel like you're putting a lot out there, a lot out there, and we haven't even gotten to conference play yet. We haven't. You're right. I mean, what what is a team like? I mean, Oklahoma State. Here, here's a good example. Oklahoma State. They they've been better than expected. Um, but they haven't played conference play yet. Postseason team. Um, I don't know. I mean, what, what's Oklahoma State going to do once conference play starts? What's I, I, I think Texas Tech. I, I think they're they're decent. I, I'm I'm impressed with what TCU's done. I, I, Kansas State's not super great. I mean, I just I just feel like there's a lot out there still to be. I let's. I think we can revisit this in a month, and we'll have a better understanding. I'm just not. I, I'm super impressed with Trey Young. I'm going to see him in person Friday night, okay? Super excited that he's placed for Oklahoma. I think through 10 games, best player in the nation. I'm just not ready to put the stamp on those and say, this is where we are right now, and it's going to stay this way. I don't feel like – I feel like that's jumping well, the gun. At least we were on the same page because I was saying if the season ends today, Trey Young's the, the player of the year. You just said that as well. We're good. All right. Hey, he's Rich. I'm Matt, Sooner Nation Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, next week, we'll we'll do the Rose Bowl preview, Oklahoma, Georgia Bulldogs. Have a very Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for everyone who checked out with us online, uh, listened to us, uh, various uh, recording methods. Uh, you guys have a, a great Christmas. Boomer Sooner, we'll talk to you soon.